Chapter thirty seven of Romola. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sergio Baldelli. Romola by George Eliot. Chapter thirty seven. The Tabernacle Unlocked. Romola was waked by a tap at the door. The cold light of early morning was in the room, and Maso was come for the travelling wallet. The old man could not help starting when she opened the door and showed him, instead of the graceful outline he had been used to, crowned with the brightness of her hair, the thick folds of the grey mantle and the pale face shadowed by the dark cowl. It is well, Maso, said Romola, trying to speak in the calmest voice and make the old man easy. Here is the wallet quite ready. You will go on quietly, and I shall not be far behind you. When you get out of the gates, you may go more slowly, for I shall perhaps join you before you get to Trespiano. She closed the door behind him, and then put her hand on the key which she had taken from the casket the last thing in the night. It was the original key of the little painted tabernacle. Tito had forgotten to drown it in the Arno, and it had lodged, as such small things will, in the corner of the embroidered scarsella, which he wore with a purple tunic. One day, long after their marriage, Romola had found it there, and had put it by without using it, but with a sense of satisfaction that the key was within reach. The cabinet on which the tabernacle stood had been moved to the side of the room, close to one of the windows, where the pale morning light fell upon it, so as to make the painted forms discernible enough to Romola, who knew them well, the triumphant Bacchus, with his clusters and his vine-clad spear, clasping the crowned Ariadne, the love's showering roses, the wreathed vessel, the cunning-eyed dolphins, and the rippled sea, all encircled by a flowery border like a bower of paradise. Romola looked at the familiar images with a new bitterness and repulsion. They seemed a more pitiable mockery than ever on this chill morning when she had waked up to wander in loneliness. They had been no tomb of sorrow, but a lying screen, foolish Ariadne, with a hair gaze of love, as if that bright face, with its hyacinthine curls, like tendrils among the vines, held the deep secret of her life. Ariadne is wonderfully transformed, thought Romola. She would look strange among the vines and the roses now. She took up the mirror and looked at herself once more. But the sight was so startling in this morning light that she laid it down again with a sense of shrinking almost as strong as that with which she had turned from the joyous Ariadne. The recognition of her own face with the cowl about it brought back the dread 
lest she should be drawn at last into fellowship with some wretched superstition into the company of the howling fanatics and weeping nuns who had been her contempt from childhood till now she thrust the key into the tabernacle hurriedly hurriedly she opened it and took out the crucifix without looking at it then with the trembling fingers she passed a cord through the little ring hung the crucifix round her neck and hid it in the bosom of her mantle for dino's sake she said to herself still there were the letters to be written which maso was to carry back from bologna they were very brief the first said tito my love for you is dead and therefore so far as i was yours i too am dead do not try to put in force any laws for the sake of fetching me back that would bring you no happiness the romola you married can never return i need explain nothing to you after the words i uttered to you the last time we spoke long together if you suppose them to be words of transient anger you will know now that they were the sign of an irreversible change i think you will fulfil my wish that my bridal chest should be sent to my godfather who gave it me it contains my wedding clothes and the portraits and other relics of my father and mother she folded the ring inside this letter and wrote tito's name outside the next letter was to bernardo del nero dearest godfather if i could have been any good to your life by staying i would not have gone away to a distance but now i am gone do not ask the reason and if you love my father try to prevent any one from seeking me i could not bear my life at florence i cannot bear to tell any one why help to cover my lot in silence i have asked that my bridal chest should be sent to you when you open it you will know the reason please to give all the things that were my mother's to my cousin brigida and ask her to forgive me for not saying any words of parting to her farewell my second father the best thing i have in life is still to remember your goodness and be grateful to you romola romola put the letters along with the crucifix within the bosom of her mantle and then felt that everything was done she was ready now to depart no one was stirring in the house and she went almost as quietly as a grey phantom down the stairs and into the silent street her heart was palpitating violently yet she enjoyed the sense of her firm tread on the broad flags of the swift movement which was like a chained-up resolution set free at last the anxiety to carry out her act and the dread of any obstacle averted sorrow and as she reached the ponte rubaconte she felt less that santa croce was in her sight than that the yellow streak of morning which parted the grey was getting broader and broader and that unless she hastened her steps she should have to encounter faces 
Her simplest road was to go right on to the Borgo Pinti, and then along by the walls to the Porta San Gallo, from which she must leave the city, and this road carried her by the Piazza di Santa Croce. But she walked as steadily and rapidly as ever through the piazza, not trusting herself to look towards the church. The thought that any eyes might be turned on her with a look of curiosity and recognition, and that indifferent minds might be set speculating on her private sorrows, made Romola shrink physically as from the imagination of a torture. She felt degraded even by that act of her husband, from which she was helplessly suffering. But there was no sign that any eyes looked forth from windows to notice this tall grey sister with the firm step and proud attitude of the cowed head. Her road lay aloof from the stir of early traffic, and when she reached the Porta San Gallo, it was easy to pass, while a dispute was going forward about the tall fopanias of eggs and the marked produce which were just entering. Out, once past the houses of the Borgo, she would be beyond the last fringe of Florence, the sky would be broad above her, and she would have entered on her new life a life of loneliness and endurance, but of freedom. She had been strong enough to snap asunder the bonds she had accepted in blind faith. Whatever befell her, she would no more feel the breath of a soft hated lips warm upon her cheek, no longer feel the breath of an odious mind stifling her own. The bare winter morning, the chill air, were welcome in their severity. The leafless trees, the sombre hills, were not haunted by the gods of beauty and joy, whose worship she had forsaken forever. But presently the light burst forth with sudden strength, and the shadows were thrown across the road. It seemed that the sun was going to chase away the grayness. The light is perhaps never felt more strongly as a divine presence stirring all those inarticulate sensibilities which are our deepest life, than in these moments when it instantaneously awakens the shadows. A certain awe which inevitably accompanied this most momentous act of her life became a more conscious element in Romulus' feeling as she found herself in the sudden presence of the impalpable golden glory of the long shadow of herself that was not to be escaped. Hitherto she had met no one but an occasional contadino with mules, and the many turnings of the road on the level prevented her from seeing that Maso was not very far ahead of her. But when she had passed the Pietra and was on rising ground, she lifted up the hanging roof of her cowl and looked eagerly before her. The cowl was dropped again immediately. She had seen not Maso, but two monks, who were approaching within a few yards of her. The edge of her cowl, making a penthouse on her brow, had shut out the objects above the level of her eyes. 
and for the last few moments she had been looking at nothing but the brightness on the path and at her own shadow tall and shrouded like a dread spectre she wished now that she had not looked up her disguise made her specially dislike to encounter monks they might expect some pious passwords of which she knew nothing and she walked along with the careful appearance of unconsciousness till she had seen the skirts of the black mantles pass by her the encounter had made her heart beat disagreeably for romola had an uneasiness in her religious disguise a shame at this studied concealment which was made more distinct by a special effort to appear unconscious under actual glances but the black skirts would be gone the faster because they were going down a hill and seeing a great flat stone against a cypress that rose from a projecting green bank she yielded to the desire which the slight shock had given her to sit down and rest she turned her back on florence not meaning to look at it till the monks were quite out of sight and raising the edge of her cowl again when she had seated herself she discerned maso and the mules at a distance where it was not hopeless for her to overtake them as the old man would probably linger in expectation of her meanwhile she might pose a little she was free and alone End of chapter thirty seven